Hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here. I am the Rebel Commander. That's sort of a jokey title I gave myself at Rebel News. Obviously, I'm nothing near as brave as actual commanders in militaries around the world who are fighting against terrorists. Um, I don't even think I'm going to use that title anymore just because it was a joke. But um, I suppose we are in the battle of ideas. And there is definitely a battle on for your mind in the information space. And I think that one of the things when you're looking at this info war is uh, not to lose control of your mind, not to let the other side colonize your mind and incept ideas into your mind. I think one of the definitions of winning a conflict is to conquer the other side's mind. You don't necessarily have to destroy every tank, shoot down every plane, or kill or injure every soldier. You just have to make the other side want to give up uh, or stop, want to stop fighting. And I think that is the technical definition of uh, how a war ends. And it's important not to become demoralized. And you can oversample bad news. And I think in this era of social media and Twitter and 24-7 news and fake news, too, you can start to lose hope. You can start to think, surely the whole world has not gone mad. Surely the whole world is not on the precipice of another war. I, mean, there, I think it is the worst time in the world since uh, the Second World War. I mean, perhaps the Cuban Missile Crisis brought the world closer to an actual world war than we're seeing now. But other than the Cuban Missile Crisis, I'm not sure if we've seen so many terrifying things in motion. And I just finished saying, don't get down on things, don't oversample social media, um, especially the barbaric clips emerging out of Gaza from the torture and rape and mutilation and burning of women and children and killing infants. Absolutely insane. I won't show you the video, but I saw there's a, a, a young woman who, um, a hostage that Hamas is putting on TV as a hostage. Like it's, it's like a kidnapper hostage proof of life video. Uh, they've done hundreds of snuff videos. They're doing a proof of life video with a pregnant woman. I think she's pregnant. Imagine what they would do to her. Um, there were reports that a pregnant woman in Israel, they cut out the baby from her mother's tummy and killed the baby and um, tummy from her womb. And um, like just horrific things. Don't oversample that. I think what's so insane, yeah, go ahead and show the video. The video of her being held hostage is not actually brutal itself un unless you know the context. The context is what makes it brutal. You can find the, the video on Twitter pretty quickly, too, if you type in her last name. I think it's, yeah, if you type in her name, I think it's Shem is her last name, S-H-E-M. Um, but besides the barbarity of Hamas, which truly is Nazi-like, I'm worried about other forces. Vladimir Putin is in uh, Beijing today. Uh, there, he certainly is a close and growing closer ally to um, China, the two regimes that I think are very authoritarian. It was a strategic choice by Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon to pit China and Russia against each other. There was a tremendous move, shocking, where the entire West suddenly said, we're done with Taiwan. Yes, Taiwan is a liberal democracy. It wasn't a full democracy back then, but we want to break China away from the Soviets. We want a rift between China and Stalin. Hey, China, come, come and have a Western focus. And um, that probably made sense at the time, because imagine communist China and the Soviet Union together. Well, look at this. Look at this warm relations. And Putin said, both Putin and Xi Jinping basically said, we're not going to let any other powers come between us. And there, there are some synergies there. Russia has an enormous amount of oil and natural gas and other minerals. And China is a voracious consumer of those. And there are Western sanctions against Russia China doesn't abide those. The Western sanctions on Iran also. China buys all the Iranian oil it can get its hands on. India did too, by the way.
So we see Russia, which is a bit ambivalent, China, which is giving out pro-Hamas messages, Iran, which is the patron of Hamas. The U.S. has sailed, is sailing two aircraft carrier groups to Israel. Joe Biden is visiting tomorrow. I think you have all the world powers in a frenzy. And I don't even know what America's intentions are, to be honest. Uh, we had heard that the Israeli invasion of Gaza would have begun by now, but that's obviously been delayed. Joe Biden is arriving tomorrow. I think he's going to say, hey, Israel, don't fight back. I tweeted uh, earlier today, Olivia, maybe you can find it, uh, a tweet of um, a White House spokesman named Kirby. If you, if you search on Twitter for Kirby and ceasefire, those two words, yeah, that's it right there. Here's, here's um, a White House spokesman talking about the possibility of a ceasefire in Ukraine where there have been 400,000 deaths, is it 8 million refugees? And here's the White House saying, never a ceasefire, never, no, 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 no. Take a listen. Hey, uh, that if coming out of this meeting, there's some sort of call for a ceasefire, well, that's just gonna be unacceptable because all that's gonna do, Mike, is ratify Russia's conquest to date. All that's gonna do is give Mr. Putin more time to refit, retrain, reman, uh, and try to, uh, to, to plan for, for renewed off offensives at a time of his choosing. Uh, we hope, and we've said this before, that, Mr. that President Xi will call and talk to President Zelensky because we believe the Chinese need to get the Ukrainian perspective here. Mm -hmm. Hey. Uh, so as you can tell, that was that was a few months ago, and but it's been the the standard message of the White House is never have a ceasefire, always fight back. And if you listen to Zelensky, who is uh, just as hardline, he says no ceasefire until we reconquer the land that Russia took. And sometimes the Ukrainian position is actually take back Crimea, which was annexed into Russia years ago. And I should say hundreds of thousands of men have died, and probably 100,000 civilians. I don't know the civilian death toll, but the military death toll itself is around 400,000. Um, and um, Israel is being told, no, have a ceasefire immediately, no invasion. These Nazi-style attacks that butchered brut brutally women and children, emphasizing women and children, that um, you gotta you gotta have a ceasefire before you even put one foot into the Gaza Strip. I find that very curious, don't you? Um, by the way, here I think we have the video of that uh, proof of life video of the young woman. I'm not sure if she's pregnant, but you can see her there uh, on a uh, Hamas video. It's a, it's a hostage video. And my understanding is there are 199 hostages, whether or not they uh, are still alive or have been tortured, in what ways they've been abused, we don't quite know. But imagine that that is the official public face of Hamas, and yet governments and Countless citizens around the world are cheering for them. That's a terrorist, criminal, Nazi, barbaric, brutal, Stone Age approach. And that they're not hiding that. As we said the other day, the Nazis did not tell the world what they were doing in the death camps. They kept it confidential, even from their own German population. And I think I mentioned the other day, I was reading about um, how when the Allies liberated the concentration camps, they would take the local townspeople and make them walk through it to see what had been there. And I actually understand that some of those, I was reading the other day, that uh, some of those people who were forced to witness what was done by the Nazi regime committed suicide. They were so appalled and felt so guilty for what had been done right under their noses. But Hitler was not putting out movies and videos and radio, and they didn't have videos back then. He was not putting out photographs or movies 
of the death camps. In fact, the opposite. He was putting out propaganda saying they were just work camps. Hamas is going further than the Nazis did. Uh, the chancellor of Germany, the new chancellor's name is Scholz, um, apparently was in Israel and he had a joint press conference. I think we have a clip of that. Let's take a look at Netanyahu and Schultz in their joint press conference. Sorry, I've caught Olivia off guard there. She was looking for other videos that I asked her to. Um, it is accurate to say Hamas are the new Nazis. They call for the eradication of Jews and they are brutal and use torture and it's for the annihilation of the Jewish people. It's other than one speaks Arabic and the other spoke German. What is the difference? Here's Netanyahu. Nazi crimes against the Jewish people on the soil of Germany and Europe. I must tell you, my friend, that the savagery that we witnessed perpetrated by the Hamas murderers uh, coming out of Gaza were the worst crimes committed against Jews since the Holocaust. The decapitation of people, the shooting of uh, little children with bound hands, the murder of uh, children in front of their parents, the murder of parents in front of their children, the hiding of babies in the attic, and the murderers who came to the attic to murder the babies, the rape and murder of women, the abduction of families, the tearing of grandmothers and Holocaust survivors and into captivity. The death pits that remind us of Babi Yar, where jeeps surround a depression in the ground where they crowd young people in and they shoot them with machine guns. This is the savagery of that we only remember uh, from the Nazi crimes in the Holocaust. Hamas uh, are the new Nazis. Hamas is ISIS, in some instances worse than ISIS. And just as the world united to defeat the Nazis, just as the world united to defeat ISIS, the world has to stand united behind Israel to defeat Hamas. Uh, and I will find out what Joe Biden says tomorrow. Um, Joe Biden is like Trudeau in some ways. He, he has Jewish donors. He wants to be polite company. He's a liberal. So he, he says he's definitely against terrorism. But Joe Biden is the, was the vice president of Barack Obama when the two of them normalized relations with Iran, transferred billions of dollars to Iran, including $6 billion just a few weeks ago. I, in fact, I think tomorrow is a day that the U.S., um, some certain sanctions against Iran for uh, ballistic missiles is set to expire. Um, the latest I've seen is that the Biden administration refuses to acknowledge that Iran has any paternity over the terrorist attack in Israel. So um, I think Biden is going to Israel to tell Israel to stand down. And as insane as it sounds, I think those two aircraft carriers are being deployed not to fight against a foreign air force. What air force would they be deployed against? Syria doesn't really have an air force. Iran doesn't really have an air force. Uh, Hamas only has those paragliders. What are all those F-35s or whatever the jets are on the aircraft? What, who would they fight against? They're obviously not going to attack Hamas. They might attack Hezbollah in Lebanon, but I think they're actually there to say to Israel, don't get any big ideas about taking out the Hamas leadership in Qatar. Don't get any big ideas about taking out the Iran nuclear facility. I actually think, as insane as it would be for the U.S. military to say to Israel, don't do something, and we're here to make sure you don't, that is what you would expect them to do, given the U.S. administration's ongoing support for Iran. Their ongoing decision to pay money to Iran, to lift sanctions from Iran, to legitimize Iran. I believe that Joe Biden's primary goal in visiting Israel is to get them not to attack Iran. You tell me what the other goal would be. Why are you sending two aircraft carriers? Why hasn't Israel attacked yet? Now, I'm, I'm quite worried about an attack on Gaza. I think it's too reminiscent of Stalingrad. I think it's... I think it's a trap in many ways. 
I think the proper response is a decapitation attack against the Hamas leadership. That's what Trump did to Soleimani, a senior Iranian commander, when Iran killed some Americans. Trump didn't declare war on Iran and kill a lot of ordinary Iranian soldiers. He took out the top guy. I don't think Biden wants Netanyahu to do that. I think that's why he sent those carrier groups. Um, some people have said, including Nikki Haley, I think it's absolutely insane. Nikki Haley said, oh, well, we can take a million pe people from Gaza. Really? <laughs> and she's a Republican. I've never heard anything so insane in my life. Um, this from a security point of view. But um, why would Nikki Haley volunteer to take a million Gazans if uh, the King of Jordan and the president of Egypt won't take one? Here, take a look at uh, the King of Jordan, making it crystal clear he and no other Arab countries want any of that. Take a listen. Just a part of the question on the issues of refugees coming to Jordan. And I think I can quite strongly speak on behalf of not only of um, 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 Jordan as a nation, but of uh, our friends in Egypt, that is a red line. Uh, because I think that is the plan by certain of the usual suspects to try and create de facto issues on the ground. No refugees in Jordan, no refugees in Egypt. Just a part of the uh, and let me give you a little bit of history. The PLO, the People's Palestinian Liberation Army, the essential Palestinian terrorist group from the 70s and 80s, uh, they were in Jordan. And they basically had a, a bit of an uprising, and Jordan kicked them out. They went to Lebanon and almost destroyed that country. Israel went in to kick them out. Then they went to Tunis. Um, they don't want... And by the way, about 60% of the population of Jordan, ethnically speaking, is Palestinian. Could you imagine if you brought uh, Hamas operatives, Hamas supporters to Jordan? They would topple the king. And you heard the king. He speaks flawless English. Jordan is one of the more moderate Arab regimes. It's had peace with Israel. Not a particularly warm peace, but it's had peace with Israel for decades. And it has a fairly close working relationship with Israel in terms of security. You think they're going to take 50,000, 100,000, quarter million Palestinian refugees from Gaza, many of whom are trained to support Gaza ideologically and in terms of violence? He's not crazy. Um, but those are things in the Middle East, and we live here in Canada and in North America, and there's plenty of things for us to be worried about here. Some people say, Ezra, what are you doing talking? What are you talking about those foreign entanglements for? And um, I believe that North America, one of the best things about it is it's far away from entanglements, isn't it? As um, Senator Dandran said about Canada 100 years ago, we're a fireproof house far away from inflammable material. And he was right. It's not right anymore. We have brought into our heartland thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who support violence as a way of solving a political or religious grievance. And uh, we had our reporters out across the country uh, over the last few days, and we saw some astonishing things let me just ask you a question. If I said to you, how would you get your hands on a swastika flag, a Nazi flag? You would probably scratch your head a bit and say, well, if I'm not in the theater business where you'd have a prop, maybe, um, there'd be no store you could buy one from. Maybe you'd order it online. And I don't know. I mean, you, I'm sure you could find a place to order it online. And I bet you 99% of those are, are FBI uh front groups wanting to know who's buying swastika flags. But i that's sort of how I think one would get it. But how do you get a Taliban flag? I'm pretty sure Amazon's not selling that. How do you get a Islamic State flag? How do you get like the actual real bona fide terrorist flag, the real deal flag of banned terrorist groups? And some of them fairly obscure. And how do you have it, and you can see what I'm talking about right here, in Mississauga, and that's a big old, is that a Yukon Excel or something, or a Suburban? Yeah. It's a big old $100,000 Suburban. I'm guessing that thing drives for, drives for Uber. <laughs> I may have been in that vehicle. Um, 
big old, big old, uh, what do they call that? King cab. He's got a Taliban flag. Yeah, put that back on the screen, please. Look, where, where would you get a Taliban flag? How would you get it? And you just have that kicking around your living room or, or in your like, uh, in your closet. And you're just ready to bring it on out. I'm not talking about the one that's in the car there that they're rolling out. But the, the big one, he's flying. Well, I guess either one of them. Where do, you, where do you get those? There are people in Canada who have Taliban flags at home. And we saw another one. What was the other one we saw? Islamic Jihad. Yeah, thank you. Now, this one here, like maybe that Taliban one could have been homemade or something, but this one here is like who, who has the Islamic Jihad, the black flag of Islamic Jihad? That's not homemade. Where do you get that from? And he's not hiding his face. Put it back. Yeah, play it one more time. He's not hiding his face. He's not an agent provocateur. That's him. He's proud of it. Where do you get that? Just got that kicking around? How many people in Canada have those? Like, like my point about how do you get a swastika flag? It's not easy. I don't think it would be easy. There's a lot of people who have terrorist flags, flags of actually banned terrorist groups going to marches for those groups. Now, it is not a crime. By the way, it is not a crime to own a swastika flag. It's not even a crime in Canada to be a Nazi. It's not a crime. Um, it is not a crime in itself to have a Taliban flag or to have an Islamic Jihad flag. It is a crime, however, since both Islamic Jihad and the Taliban are banned terrorist organizations. It is, it is a crime in the criminal code, punishable by up to 10 years in prison, to support those groups. And there's the four words, participate, instruct, um, harbor, and I forget what the fourth one is, assist or something. So it, it is, or travel or something, I, I can't remember. But there's four things that you cannot do within, uh, within a legal terrorist group. And um, I'm guessing if you've got a Taliban flag at home, you're probably affiliated with them. Participating, facilitating, instructing, and harboring. Throw that on the screen just for one second. Here's the criminal code. You can search for yourself. Just Google criminal code terrorist provisions. Every person who knowingly participates in or contributes to directly, indirectly. So it, it, participating, facilitating, instructing, and harboring, those are the four things you cannot do. Now, if you've got a terrorist flag at home and you go to a pro-terrorist march, are you participating? Are you participating? Are you facilitating? You may be. You may be. No charges in Canada, of course. That would be too embarrassing. Speaking of which, uh, Arif Varani, who, if I'm not mistaken, i got to keep track. There's so many cabinet shuffles. I think he's the justice minister now, right? So he was speaking at an uh, anti-Semitism conference in Ottawa. And I should say it was a conference against anti-Semitism, because given how many rallies there are for anti-Semitism these days, you've got to be careful. So Arif Varani, who's a liberal cabinet minister, was speaking at this anti-Semitism conference. And um, he didn't denounce any criminal charges against uh, Hamas supporters for spreading hatred. He didn't announce any criminal charges against Hamas supporters for participating, harboring, instructing, or facilitating terrorism. Didn't announce any criminal charges against the Taliban flag guy, against the Islamic Jihad flag guy. Didn't do that. But he did take the opportunity. In fact, there's a CBC story. If you want to just show that CBC story, um, let me read this. At conference confronting anti-Semitism, Justice Minister promises online harms legislation. Bill was first introduced prior to last election, promising it within 100 days of vote. Here, I'll just read a little bit. 
At a conference on confronting anti-Semitism on Monday, Justice Minister Arif Arani repeated a standing promise of the federal level government to combat online harms uh, with new legislation, but offered no timeline. Quote, we need a safe and secure digital environment as much as we need safe streets in our communities, Varani said before an audience gathered by the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs in Ottawa. Okay, so the justice minister doesn't have a word to say against the Hamas rallies because they're part of his election base. They're part of his voter base. Doesn't have a word to say about what's actually going on in the streets. In Toronto, uh, a Jewish school, there were three uh, young men who threatened the kids and then threw a rock through a window. Arif Rani, the liberal justice minister, doesn't have a word to say about that. Three suspected Hamas supporters arrested after alleged threats to Toronto Jewish school, police deployed inside classroom. So Arif Rani, not got really anything to say about this, but he's going to use the pretext to go after online comments. I've read that online harms proposal. The actual final version of the bill has not been submitted, but the government, it was sort of odd. They published sort of all their backgrounders, all their goals, all their, like they, they dumped hundreds of pages of their plans for this bill online. And I don't know if we can find it easily. Stephen Gilbo was the heritage minister. Do we have that clip where he talks about the nuclear option? You know the one I'm talking about? He says that under the... Pardon me? Give us one sure, yeah, take your time. Um, so Stephen Gilbo, when he first talked about the Online Harms Act, said two things about it. There's actually two clips, Efron. I don't, and, and don't knock yourself out finding them, but they are quite something. It's so astonishing. People might not believe me uh, without seeing it with their own eyes. He said, first of all, one of the things that this bill should do is protect politicians from criticism. I swear to God he said that. I swear to God. And then the second thing he said is, this bill is so powerful, it even has what he called the nuclear option. Those are his words. <laughs> Where he says they can actually delete a website. Just order it off the internet, North Korea style. I, I, I'm taking my first breath. Half an hour has gone by. Let's do this. Let's have a quick commercial break because there's some important things I want you to see. I want you to see some of the things that Rebel News is up to. We got some events coming up. We got things I want you to see. So please do me a favor and watch these ads, but then come back on the other side and I'm going to show you if we can muster them. Stephen Gilbo saying the Online Harms Act, one of its goals is to stop politicians from being criticized. And number two, they reserve the power to have the nuclear option, which is literally to ban, delete, vaporize, well, he used the word nuclear, websites he doesn't like. Here's the commercials. We'll be right back on the other side. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. After years, I'm finally coming to Canada. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist. I've trained in epidemiology. The FDA wanted to block the Pfizer dossier for 55 years. 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths. Red Deer, Thursday, November 9th. Get tickets at canadiansfortruth.ca. See you Thursday, November 9th. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists. Like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus New World Sun, just off a European tour. And the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms.
Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The Wellness Company's Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twc.health rebel today. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Um, before the break, I was telling you that Arif Arani, the new justice minister, who replaced David Lametti. I think David Lametti was probably the most crooked justice minister we've had in a generation. Remember, he was the one that Justin Trudeau put in to replace Jody Wilson-Raybould because Jody Wilson-Raybould was too honest. That's why she was fired, because Justin Trudeau wanted Jody Wilson-Raybould to drop a criminal prosecution of his friends at SNC-Lavalin for corruption. They had, they had already admitted to the corruption, huge corruption, SNC Lapland, such a corrupt company, they just finally chose to change their name. It would be like if Pfizer changed their name just to get rid of all the bad press. That's what SNC Lavalin did. And uh, so Trudeau wanted his uh, Justice Department to lay off, but they had a very honest cabinet minister named Jody Wilson-Raybould. So they fired her and they put in David Lemetti. Imagine being that guy. What does that say about you? Anyway, they rotated him out because he was just so awful. And Arif Arani is the new justice minister. And so he tells an anti-Semitism conference, and I have to clarify, it was a conference against anti-Semitism. That's, you got to check these days, um, that he's going to introduce this online harms act as if it was online harms that killed 1,400 people in Israel, as if it was online harms that these... Um, pro-Hamas protesters on our street, the Taliban flag, the Islamic Jihad flag. Um, and I mentioned that, that uh, Stephen Gilbo, one of the worst cabinet ministers out there, when he was talking about this, he said two insane things that were never retracted or repudiated because he meant them. Um, I don't know if you can call him dumb. I call him dumb sometimes, but I don't think he's dumb. I think he's just malicious. I think he, I think he doesn't have a, a, a democratic or liberal bone in his body. I think he's a bit of a fascist in his own way. Um, so I, I, I don't think I should call him done, dumb. Anyhow, here he is telling uh, a reporter named Anna Caradelia a couple of things. So do we have two of the clips? One of them, which one is this? Which clip is this? This is the this is when he says that they reserve the right to nuke websites they don't like. Take a look at this. Envision having blocking orders. I mean, that's that it, maybe um, it's not. Uh, you know, it's a. It, it would be. It would likely be a a last result. Last result. Uh, nuclear bomb in in a in a toolbox of uh, of mechanism for for a regulator. Oh, really? Okay. So um, <laughs> that's your go-to metaphor. If you don't like something on the internet, you're in your toolbox box is a nuclear bomb to destroy a website, to delete it, to block it. I don't even know what he really means to do, but uh, a nuclear bomb suggests that it'll be pretty bad. And do we have that other quote where he talks about... Um, one of the uses for the Online Harms Act is to stop people criticizing politicians? Take your time. I mean, it, it's really telling because uh, it's got nothing to do with protecting against anti-Semitism. It, it's got everything to do with protecting against anti-liberal party activists. In, in fact, I, uh, I'm not kidding when I say I've heard other journalists refer to these censorship bills as the kill rebel bills. I've heard that from two different journalists that that's what these bills are really about. Um, is that the clip there? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, if you think I'm kidding, oh, Ezra, you're exaggerating. Really? Take a listen to this. We've seen too many examples of public officials retreating from public service due to the hateful online content targeted towards themselves or even their families. Um, that's what this is about. I think there was a question that precipitated that answer. 
This is about stopping people from hating politicians. It's not about anti-Semitism. <laughs> what a laugh. And imagine, you know, imagine, yeah, he's going he's gonna to stop anti-Semitism by censoring the Internet. Uh, first of all, censoring the Internet is like uh, bailing out the ocean with a thimble. There you, I mean, good luck with that. Um, but I, I don't think the problem in Canada is the Internet. I think the problem in Canada are tens, maybe hundreds of thousands, God forbid more, of people who just plain old support terrorism, and they say so. All right, well, I don't want to just talk about the war. I think I think we are in a I think we are closer to World War III than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. I just think we are. I think that I find what Joe Biden's doing very confusing, and I can't help but have those dark thoughts that Joe Biden is the pro-Iran president who actually wants Iran to be a global, a regional superpower. They've said as much. They've said as much. Um, We'll see what he says tomorrow, but more importantly, we'll see what he does when he's in Israel. I want to show one more clip, but I, I want to sort of transition from war clips to other things. Uh, the CBC, as you know, has an explicit policy not to use the word terrorist when talking about Hamas, which is sort of quirky, because as we showed you every day, and we can even show you again right now, if you Google terrorist list Canada, you know, there is a terrorist list. And it's published by our Department of uh, Public Security. And it's very easy to find. It's called, they call them listed entities. And as you can see, this is on the public safety website. And you see all these ones here? Um, Al-Shabaab, Al-Aska Mosque. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there's a few obscure ones from other countries, but they're they're pretty much Islamic. Uh, we mentioned the Islamic Jihad flag. Uh, I think if you scroll down a tiny bit more, you'll see, you know, there's just, there's just so many ones. I mean, Hamas is on there. Hamas is actually an acronym. Yeah, so Taliban is on here. Hamas is on here. Um, my point of mentioning that is because it's not a matter of opinion in Canada if Hamas is a terrorist group. It is. It's right there on the list. Um, you can say you don't like it to be that way. You can say you disagree. But Hamas is a terrorist group in Canada. If it makes you feel better, you can say, which has been designated a terrorist group by the Canadian government. You can say that if it makes you feel better. But it's the truth. So how can Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster have a written policy. This isn't just rumors. This is a written policy that they do not deny. How do you do that? When, how do you say, how do you decline to call them terrorists when they are terrorists? And of course, by any possible real life measurement, they're terrorists. And so um, Rachel Harder, or who goes by Rachel Thomas, sorry, I, she was married, and I think her name is, is your last name Thomas now? Uh, sorry, I remember when she was elected as Rachel Harder. She's a, an MP from Lethbridge, and she wants to ask the government media company about this policy. And normally I would say, where does any politician get off asking a journalist anything? But these aren't journalists, understand. They're government journalists, which is completely different. If you are a government journalist, you are actually a PR rep. You are a spin doctor. You are an errand boy. You're a communications director, whatever you are. But you are not a journalist. If you work for, are paid by, answer to uh, the government of Canada, you are not a journalist. And as long as you're taking $1.5 billion a year from taxpayers, and as long as you're doing things in the name of the government, I think you should answer questions about that. And the fact that they're so uncomfortable about it tells us something. And the fact that the liberals and then the NDP are protecting them tells you something about them too. He's, here's Rachel Thomas talking about this. Take a look. The CBC just keeps getting worse and worse. 
According to a leaked memo, their director of journalistic standards instructed those who work there to refrain from referring to Hamas as a terrorist organization. Now remember, this is a group of militant men who went in and killed 1,400 people in a night. This is a, a group of militant men who kidnapped, raped, and murdered women and then took their naked bodies and flaunted them in the streets. This is a group of militant men who went in and beheaded 40 innocent babies. This is no doubt a terrorist organization. Canada has had them officially listed as such for more than 20 years. Now, to justify itself, the CBC said, well, to call Hamas terrorists is to take a side. No doubt it's to take a side. It's to take the side of the innocent. If you're not there, where are you? These acts that I just described are pure evil. And for our public broadcaster to somehow try to get away with describing them as something less is terrifying. We're talking about a public broadcaster that receives $1.2 billion in taxpayer money each and every year. It's our job to hold them to account. So my conservative colleagues and I are bringing them to committee, or at least moving a motion to do so. We're doing that this morning. We'll keep you posted. Well, I'll tell you how it ended. The other parties refused to have that. But um, I'm glad that I'm glad that the Conservative Party are so vigorous on calling to Hamas a terrorist group, and I'm glad they're I'm glad they're beating up the CBC because you cannot you cannot accept that the CBC are journalists. You you cannot grant them that. Um, I have yet to see the Conservative Party of Canada do anything more substantive, though. I haven't seen them call for the deportation of non-citizens who support Hamas. That should be pretty easy. I'm not saying denaturalize someone who is now a citizen, but if you're a foreign student here on a student visa and you're a guest of the country and you think that instead of studying, you should be on the streets chanting death to the Jews, um, I think you should go home. And um, I think that would cool off a lot of the worst actors on campus. I remember it was 30 years ago now, but I was on university campus and there were kids from Syria, from uh, extreme anti-Semitic countries like that who were at the University of Calgary. They would take one course a year to be registered students and they would spend 90% of their time just organizing against Canada and against the Jews. And um, how about go home and do that somewhere else? How about don't take up a, a slot that a Canadian student could be at? How about if you're not here to learn, if you're here to spread your terrorist propaganda, how about go home? Uh, I don't know if the conservatives will show courage to do that. And I don't even think it takes a lot of courage. Will they prosecute anyone for participating, instructing, harboring, or I can't remember the four things that you can't do for a terrorist group? Will, will we see that? Um, will they talk about the sheer numbers of immigrants to Canada who are not vetted? We're bringing a million people a year now, and they're not vetted. They, there's no meetings. You don't have an interview anymore. It's all a paper application form or online. So I'm still waiting to see if the conservatives are real. Um, but I have a little bit of hope. I want to show you a video that is so entertaining, but I, but I think it also shows a refusal to play the media's game. And it's by Pierre Polyev. And I think he was out in BC. I think that's an apple orchard in BC. There are apple orchards in other provinces too, including Ontario, but I'm pretty sure this is in BC. And I'm pretty sure the name of this journalist is Derek Urquhart from Castanet. And uh, that's not particularly important. This is a two minute excerpt from a larger interview. And this is just, it's so good. Without further commentary, take a quick look at Pierre Polyev. Um, on, the, on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap appealing, appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing, they, you know, I mean, it's that, that type I of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people... I don't really believe in that. Okay. A lot of people would, would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, well, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but... Like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. I, you must know somebody. 
<laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sure there's some out there. But anyways, the, the point of this the point of this question is, I mean, why should why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given you know not not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but what are you also, talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms, that. In terms of tur turning things quite dramatically in terms of, of Trudeau and, and the left wing and all of this, I mean, you, you, you make quite a, you know, it's, it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm, I'm not sure. Wondering. I don't under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. Common sense for, for a change. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense in the current government. You know, the guy prints $600 billion, grows our money supply by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying power of your paycheck. You know, I'm just going to send, Olivia, I'm going to send you a story. I just put it in the, in the Slack channel there. I think I, that reporter was not identified, but if you click on uh, the story that I just sent you, I think that's where it was taken. You can see this is from a few days ago in, um, in British Columbia, and you can see that's what he was wearing, right, Pierre Polyev? That, I think he was wearing that outfit, and he's standing in front of an apple orchard, so I think it's pretty clearly that's where it was. And if you scroll down... Sorry, and if you if you look at who wrote the story, you see it says Don Urquhart there, and then click on his name. You see where it says photo Don Urquhart. Yeah, click on that, and then you should get and yeah, just click on that there and just show that that's him, right? He was wearing a hat, so I think we found out that that's Don Urquhart from the Times Chronicle, which is uh, a Kelowna. Uh, uh, Castanet is sort of the chain. Times Chronicle in Kelowna, Don Urquhart. So I think we found the mystery of, uh, of who that is. So let's go back and read the story. Because um, he both took the photo, and as you can see right under the headline, he wrote, he, he's the byline for the story. Pierre Polyev was in town Wednesday, capping the visit off with a rally in Oliver. Let's read a little bit. I have actually not read this before. I just want to see... Are you, Olivia, are you curious how that reporter uh, reported things, given how Pierre Polyev so calmly ate an apple and ate his lunch? Take a look. Official opposition and conservative party leader Pierre Polyev vowed to take on colleges of physicians and surgeons, along with any other hurdles to getting immigrant doctors rapidly licensed and practicing in Canada. Polyev made the comments to the Times Chronicle and Oliver after meeting this week with fruit growers from the area. I'm going to skip ahead because they're talking about a particular proposal. Okay, and then he gets to when, when asked why Canadians should trust him with their votes, given his demonstrable track record of flip-flopping on key issues. Oh. And what some consider his use of polarizing, ideologically infused rhetoric, suggesting he simply takes pages out of the Donald Trump populist playbook, Polyev became acerbic. <laughs> Ultimately, the answer was common sense. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense anymore. Um, is that an accurate reflection of the conversation we just saw? Again and again and again, this guy, Don Urquhart, put to Polyev, oh, you're just taking a page out of Donald Trump. I don't even think he accused him of flip-flopping. I think that was just injected later here. So you you saw that gorgeous back and forth. And acerbic sort of means like uh, a little bit sharp and a little bit, you know, um, I'd have to, what exactly is the definition of acerbic? Uh, sharp and forthright. Tasting sour or bitter. Maybe. But I think Pierre Polyev was pretty calm, and I think eating the apple was just the perfect touch. I, I don't think P 
Polyev came across as aggressive or hostile, he asked very basic questions to a very dopey reporter who said, a lot of people are saying, a lot of people say, people say, and Polyev said, well, who, who said that? Whenever a reporter says, a lot of people say, some pundits wonder, some critics say, they're just saying, I think, but they don't have the courage or they know it sounds awful to say, I think you're like Donald Trump. And was it three times there, Polyev? So give me an example. Who says that? What did I do? And, and the reason why uh, Don Urquhart came across so stupid is because he knew that he was the guy writing the story, so he would hide his stupidity. But it's a bit of a miracle we had that video. I don't know who was recording that video. Maybe it was Polyev's own staff, which was great if it was, because now we know the difference between what really happened and what um, Don Urquhart said happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, let me just read that part again. It's just so gorgeous here. Let me just find it there. I just got to find the part where, where, uh, sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. When asked why Canadians should trust him um, with their votes, given his demonstrable track record of flip-flopping on key issues, was he actually asked that, Olivia? I don't think he was. I don't think so. I think he was just talking about Donald Trump, populist, right wing, left wing. I've watched that clip three times. I can tell you there's nothing in there about flip-flopping. The reporter is the one who put Donald Trump in again and again, right wing, left wing, ideological, polarizing. So the reporter was the guy putting all those bait words there. And Polyev said, well, can you give me an example of that? Or says who? Or name me one? Or give me an example? Or you're the guy who said it. And Urquhart just absolutely fell apart and couldn't do it. And so he moved on because he knew that he was the guy who was going to write the story. So he would just have a revised history. Don Urquhart lied about what happened. And we wouldn't know about it if we weren't there to see it. He said... When asked why Canadians should trust him with their votes, given his demonstrable track record of flip-flopping on key issues, and what some consider his use of polarizing, ideologically infused rhetoric, suggesting he simply takes pages out of the Donald Trump populist playbook, Pierre Polya became acerbic. Ultimately, the answer was common sense. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ultimately, what, why are you leaving out the two minutes where he asked you to prove that premise? Let me read that one more time, and then can you play that clip again? Because I want to show you what a wicked liar this Don Urquhart is, what a dishonest and unethical reporter he is. When asked why Canadians should trust him with their votes, okay, that's always a good question, given his demonstrable, so it's not just an allegation, it's demonstrated that he's a flip-flopper, what some consider his use of polarizing, ideologically influenced rhetoric, suggesting he simply takes pages out of the Donald Trump populist playbook. Holy crap, who even says that other than some kook? But why don't you put what the, what the guy said in response three, four times? He said, what are you talking about? Give me an example. Says who? Name one. Polyev became acerbic. Ultimately, the answer was common sense. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You left out everything he said. Here, play that again. Play that. I just read for you twice what this wicked liar said happened. Now take a look at what really happened. Um, on, the, on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap appealing, appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly, you, certainly, you tap, certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing, you know, I mean, it's that, that type of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people... I don't really believe in that. Okay. A lot of people would, would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, well, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but... Like who? 
I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. I, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the, point of this, the point of this question is, I mean, why should, why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given, you know, not, not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but What are you also, talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms, that. In terms of tur turning things quite dramatically in terms of, of Trudeau and, and the left wing and all of this, I mean, you, you, you make quite a, you know, it's, it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm, I'm not just sure. I don't, under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. Common sense okay, wrap it for, up there. for a change. But, but you, see, you see the dishonesty of the news article that he ran in the end. He did not justify his accusation of Donald Trump, this, populist, that. He didn't show that Polyev challenged that, but he put his weird ideological attack question in full, skipped Polyev's answers, and said, Polly, I became acerbic. Okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe you could call, I, in fact, I, I, I would call that acerbic, but how about let us see what was acerbic instead of just telling us it was acerbic. You can't because it would expose that you're such a hack, such a wicked liar. That is so weird. And I can tell you that that happens all the time. And only, I'm very pleased that Pierre Polly had pushed back on that. And I'm hopeful that that's a sign of things to come. Uh, because knowing that the media are not your friend is half the battle. And, and I know this from past conservative leaders. Stephen Harper was generally firm with the media. Uh, he wasn't that mean to them, and he wasn't that friendly. I think he took the right approach. Uh, Andrew Shear was absolutely terrified by the media. He would do anything they said. Um, and... And Aaron O'Toole didn't even, didn't even have a difference of opinion with the media. He was going to do what they said anyways, because that's what he believed. And in the case of Andrew Scheer, which I think was actually the worst of the two, I think Andrew Scheer actually believed that if he was nice to the media, they would be nice to him. Because remember, Andrew Scheer came from being the Speaker of the House for years. He had never fought a hard battle. He had never had a tough campaign. He had never... Like, really, when you are the Speaker of the House, you're not engaged in any debates. You're not doing any difficult scrums. Uh, you don't even vote other than to break a tie. You're not even going to caucus meetings because that's too partisan. You are really a ceremonial and luxurious position in the House. So Andrew Scheer, his entire political training was being friendly and diplomatic, and everyone would bow and curtsy to him. And he had the huge budget of what they call the board... Board of Internal Economy, which is uh, basically back, it used to be a quarter billion, I bet it's a half a billion dollars now just to run parliament. So Andrew Scheer truly believed that if he was nice to someone, they would be nice to him. He didn't understand these are government journalists, in the CBC mainly, but all the journalists are hostile. He didn't understand it. Pierre Polyev understood him. He, and you could see he understood it because he didn't grant the premise of the question to some dopey guy. And I presume that that was Polyev's own camera. I just presume it was. Because holy mackerel, did that make Don Urquhart look like the idiot that he is. Well, listen, it is the top of the hour. It is 2 p.m. Eastern time. What a pleasure to be with you for the past hour. I will be doing my regular Ezra Levant show tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And if you don't have a subscription yet, you can go to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our paywall shows, rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month, which I know that doesn't sound like a lot of dough to you, but to us, that's a lot of dough when it all adds up. That's how we pay the bills around here. And uh, we never take any money from Trudeau and it shows, which is why we rely on you, our dear viewers. So please consider going to rebelnewsplus.com and clicking subscribe. All right. Until tonight. What's that? Oh boy. We got, I almost forgot. What about the super chats? Let me get to them right now. Juha Bursi, Five Smacker, says this reporter is totally outsmarted by Pierre. Absolutely. And not just in the answers, in the fact that Pierre Polyev recorded it. 
Fraser McBurney, five bucks in the past, the government broke up Standard Oil, Ma Bell, because they were too big. It's now time to break up Blacklock Financial. That company is too large, is buying up homes around the world. I've read about these corporate industrial investor buying up single family homes, and I find it an unusual story. And it probably has something to do with uh, the increase in, in housing prices. But I do know this. Housing prices in America are about half of what they are proportionately in Canada. And that boggles my mind. I, I think it has to do in part with mass immigration. You cannot bring in 3% more people every year, a million people every You just can't do it and expect housing to be affordable. It just doesn't work that way. It's supply and demand. So I, I need to study the issue more, Fraser, but I think you're right. All right. I think those are our Super Chats for the day. I'll say goodbye now until tonight. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, goodbye and keep fighting for freedom.